Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. In this second message of our series on wisdom, Pastor Ryan helps us understand that we only pursue something that we have a desire for. The pursuit of wisdom must be fueled by humility, submission, and it must be the primary thing. Listen in as Ryan Neal teaches on the pursuit of wisdom. about the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom. And we're going to go into Proverbs chapter number two. You can go there now, but just go ahead and put a a finger there for the moment because we're going to do a quick recap. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, week one was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge and and the call to wisdom or uh, making known the importance of wisdom was what we talked about in week one. We were acknowledging that the word of God is superior to the ways of the world. The way of God is superior to anything else. You know, we've been taught, uh, we've kind of been desensitized in this age that, you know, well, the Muslims have their way and, you know, the Jewish people have their way and, you know, uh, uh, some that believe in Confucius or whatever, they have their way and then the Christians have their way. Well, that is not what we believe. You know, it's not to put down anybody else or anyone else's way of thinking. But for us as Christians, we believe that the Lord is the way. Okay. And the scripture tells us in, in uh, Proverbs 1 and uh, 1 and 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So having a fear of the Lord, having a, uh, a, um, Somebody said I'm going in and out a little. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Uh, but unfortunately, it may just be the connection. I think we're having some issues in our area with the Wi-Fi today because uh, I got a notice of that. So you'll have to just bear with me because there's not really much I can do about it. Um, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that the word of God is the power of God unto the salvation to everyone who believes Amen. So once we acknowledge the word of God as superior, we must listen to the word of God because it is the power of God into salvation. It's going to save everybody that believes, but but it doesn't just stop at those that believe because with, with the other religions and, and what, what people try to tell us and what we've been desensitized with, it's like, yeah, well, if you don't believe, as long as you believe in something, then that will save you. But this is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, but then those that do not believe will be damned. Okay, and the Bible tells us, he says in Romans chapter one, um, that he tells us in Romans chapter uh, one in verse 18 through 27, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Okay, so he's saying he has shown them who he is. He has shown them that he is powerful. He has shown them that he is exalted above the nations. He has shown them in his very creations. Look at look around you. Look at the birds. Look at the trees. Look at all the things that God created. Ask yourself, does the Big Bang Theory even make sense when you look at the creations, when you look at how God has created us? And he says he has shown it to us. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who? Who's without excuse? Those that do not obey God. 
because because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and were not thankful, but became frugal in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be what? Wise. We're talking about wisdom. The world will profess to be wise, but they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26 says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And I read this just because, you know, uh, we live in a day now where they will try to tell us that, oh, well, you know, that's all Old Testament stuff. When when it talks about, you know, you know, love is love and and and, and homosexuality. God doesn't care because love is love and, and God loves everybody. Well, he does love everybody, but there are still certain things that God is against. And here we have it right here in the New Testament. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, okay? For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. He says it's very much, it's even against nature. When you think about that, a woman with a woman can't have a baby. A man with a man can't have a baby. It's against the very nature of the way that God created this world. It says, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the, the penalty of their error, which was due. Now I read all of that just to show you, we're not gonna go deep dive into that scripture, but that is a scripture to me that shows us the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge. God is not playing. It also shows us the listen and do. We talked last week about listening, not just hearers of the word of God, but we're actually following out and doing the things, obeying the word of the Lord, okay? And so that was what we talked about over the last couple of weeks. But today we're going to talk about pursue, pursue, pursuing God. So pursue, um, to pursue something, there has to be a motivation there. Everybody agree with that? In order to pursue something, there has to be a motivation there. We can only pursue something that we actually desire. We can only pursue something that we actually desire. And this is where we're going to begin and end our talk today, that we can only truly pursue something that we have a desire for. You don't go pursuing something. You don't even admire something in other people that you don't necessarily want or want to pursue. You don't go pursuing the attributes of somebody you know or go pursuing maybe the same types of uh, things or career or whatever uh, that someone else has or that you see uh, if it's not something that you desire. So we only pursue things that to us are worth having. Okay. Now it's important to note that in the in chapter two of Proverbs, there's really no commands there. It's just a plea. It's a plea, but there are no real commands. Uh, it's actually just like one big long if-then statement, if I can put it in, in that way. Um, and, and we use if-then statements, right? Any of us uh, who are parents, any of us who are in supervisory positions uh, on our jobs, even even just when you are negotiating with someone or talking with a friend, well, hey, if you do this, then I will do that. You know, somebody wants you, you know, even with my wife sometimes, you know, she'll say, oh, you know, stay in the kitchen and keep me company. And I'll say, okay, I'll stand here with you if then you go outside with me and do this. Uh, and so we use those kind of statements all the time. We tell our kids, if you do the things that are right, then we'll let you stay up a little later tonight. Uh, so 
And that is the, the discussion that's going on here. Again, we're kind of listening in on this discussion about wisdom from a father to a son, which really mimics the Lord talking to us, his children. Okay. So the reason though, that there's no commandments here is that, uh, there, there's no commandments because you don't really command someone to have passion. You can't really command someone to have passion. So the only real commandment here is that we need to pursue, but there's really no commandment to pursue. It's just telling us if you pursue, then this is what will happen. And that's what the whole is about. Okay. You can't command someone desire something. You can't think about that. You can't command someone to be passionate about something. You can't command someone uh, to to have a passion or desire for God. You must choose to. You must choose to. Okay. So we're going to go here into Proverbs chapter number two, verses one through four. I'll read it to you. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you again, he says, if if you receive my words. He doesn't say, you better receive my words and treasure these commands that are within you. So listen again, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, verse two says, so that, or if, if you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And then verse three says, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, verse four says, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as hidden treasures. And then we'll get into the then. What happens with all of these if, if you receive my words, if you incline your ear, if you cry out for discernment, if you seek it as silver, then he says then, and we'll get to the then. But first we wanna start with the if. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands, four if statements used to passionately call the son to pursue wisdom. Used to passionately call the son to pursue wisdom. Okay, and we're going to talk about this pursuit first. We're going to talk about these ifs, the pursuit of wisdom, and, and what does it mean to pursue with pursue wisdom, and what is it fueled by? So there's three things. The pursuit of wisdom is fueled by humility. The pursuit of wisdom is fueled by submission, and the pursuit of wisdom must be primary or your chief concern. Okay, so let's go into that. The scripture tells us that. Uh, the pursuit of wisdom is fueled by humility. We have to see that it says here, it says, my son, if you receive my words, if you receive my words, in order for us to receive something from someone, we have to understand that it's something that we do not have. And he says, and then I want you to treasure my commands within you. So what is he saying here? He says, I want you to take this that I have that you don't have, and I want you to make it your treasure. So in order for you to understand the importance of receiving these words from the Father or receiving these words from God and treasuring these things, treasuring these commands that he gives us, you have to give up whatever it is that you're treasuring. You have to give up whatever it is that you have, humble yourself and says, he has something that I need. I've got something I need to get rid of. I am not sufficient within myself. And I can do this at least not well on my own, okay? He has something I need. And in addition to that, I've got something that I need to get rid of that's not working for me. I am not sufficient and I cannot do this well on my own. What is this? This is life. 
I cannot do life. How many of you have gotten to a point? You can put it in the chat. How many of you have gotten to a point where you realize over and over and over again that you get to a point where you think you can do it on your own? You, you, you've cut out the regular devotion. You've cut out the regular time with God and you think you got it. You think you can handle it. You think you can do this on your own, but God sends you a constant reminder that causes you to humble yourself, causes you to come back to his presence, causes you to get back to the point where you are uh, in relationship, in deep relationship with him and realize I cannot do this on my own, at least not well. I can't do this well on my own. A humble heart says that you need something that you do not and cannot otherwise find. This is not just talking about wisdom. It's talking about God, the, the actual presence and the need for God. Proverbs is a book of Proverbs, but in the first few chapters, it's a, just a book of wisdom. It's just a book of wisdom. It's a book of talking about uh, God and finding God. And, and that is the first part of wisdom. And that's the part that will always guarantee you results. Always seeking God. Seeking God will always guarantee you results. As we get further in Proverbs, as I told you all the first week, it is a book of Proverbs. It's a, it's a book of kind of, you know, if you do this, then this will happen in most cases. But in the beginning, we do get some things that are some guarantees because what it tells us is that if we seek after God, then we will find him when we search for him, okay? And so part and parcel, though, to this, this humility that we must have is submission. Submission, okay? The pursuit of wisdom is fueled by submission. And it talks about here in verses three and, uh, I'm sorry, in verses two, it talks about, it talks about uh, having an ear, amen, to hear and a heart Okay, so that ear represents attention. The word of God, we give the word of God our attention. Why? Because we talked about the first week and we understand from our reading is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we give our ear and attention to it because then we know that there's no greater use of our time than hearing the word of God. We also give our heart to it. We give our heart to it uh, uh, because we don't want to be just hearers of the word. So the use of the word ear and heart represents submission. If you have someone's ear, then they are listening to you and you have their attention. If you have their heart, then they are doing what they what you want them to do. If you have that person's heart, then they are doing what you want them to do. The scripture says elsewhere in Proverbs, it says that the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I believe that's in Proverbs. It may be in Psalm, but it says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord will turn it whichever way that he wants, just like he does the rivers of water. And so the point of that heart is that if we give our heart to God, then God can turn us in whatever way he wants to twist and to turn us. OK, and so these two together represent submission. God has our ear and he has our heart. The more you listen, the more you obey. Give your attention to the word of God, not in one ear and out the other. Because we, we have people that come to church every Sunday, they hear the word of God and it just goes in one ear and out the other. This type of ear is not an in one ear and out the other. This is an ear of attentiveness. This is an ear of respect for the word of God. This is an ear of, 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 of true listening to the word of God, giving our attention to that thing so that it seeps down on the inside of our heart and what we hear begins to change how we act. It begins to put us in submission through that humility of knowing that the word of God is what we need. 
So giving the word our full attention means to submit our minds, to submit our actions, to submit our emotions. Uh-oh, how you feel. Submit how you feel. Submit our bodies and our wills to God's word. In James 1 and uh, 1 and 21, it says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. This engrafted word, this word that God wants to engraft on your heart, which is able to do what? Save your souls. It is able to save your souls. But then he says, so he talks about that. Look at this now. He talks about this implanted word. He's talking about the heart. He said, engrafted in your heart in James 1 and 21. And then in verse number 22, he goes into the ear. So he starts with the heart and then he goes to the ear, uh, like here in Proverbs, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only doing what? Deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his face in a mirror for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he saw, forgets what kind of man he was. The word of God is a mirror. We see that we come here. We see how we look by listening to the word of God and seeing the word of God. But he says, if you just hear the things that you needed to change, then you walked away. You walked away and didn't do anything about it. And verse 25 says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. He is one who would be blessed in what he does. So we need to not just hear the word of God, but the pursuit of wisdom is fueled by submission to the word of God. Okay. After that, we have to understand that the pursuit of wisdom is our primary goal. It is our primary goal. We cannot put anything in front of this pursuit of wisdom or this pursuit of God. The pursuit of wisdom or the pursuit of Christ must be the greatest priority in our lives, okay? We must seek it like someone looking for something in their home. You ever lost something and, and you were about to do something else, but you realize that you lost something. So you stop everything that you're doing and you go look for that thing that you lost. You look for it like something you've lost and you must find and you must find this thing. And we have to continually do that. That is how we must seek after God. We have to seek after him like something that we have lost and something that we are looking to find. We'll talk about how we do that uh, and how we, how we uh, make sure to constantly do that with passion and persistence. We'll talk about that toward the close. But for now, what I want you to understand is that like the scripture tells us in Matthew 6 and 33, we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is also the theme, that's Matthew 6 and 33, but that's also the theme of Matthew 13 and 44. When Jesus tells them, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy goes and sells everything that he has to buy the field. We have to be willing to give up everything that we've got to go after God, to go after wisdom. Like he told the rich young ruler, he said, one thing that you lack, sell everything that you have, give everything up. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because of the fact that he had much possessions. He viewed himself, at least, as having much possessions. But the Bible tells us that he was rich. So he had something. And he was holding on to whatever what, whatever it was. But God knew that whatever he had, had his heart. 
And so God required him to give it all up in order to follow him. It's not that you can't have anything following God, but you can't allow anything to take hold of you other than the taking hold of the pursuit of God and letting that be your primary thing. We have to be willing to give all that we have and to go after God with our whole heart, okay? But this is the thing that I love about God. God's pursuit of us, uh, God never requires us to do anything that he doesn't do. And so when we go again into Matthew, there's a lot of pursuit in Matthew. So this is the third time we're talking about pursuit in Matthew. But in Matthew 18 and 12, just going to take a quick pause for the cause here and make sure you understand that God is telling you to pursue him as primary. But look what he did for you. He says, what do you think if a man has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if it should, and if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over the one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He gave a similar imagery when he talked about the prodigal son. And, and we have all been a prodigal son at some point in our life and needed to come back to God. But the thing that I love about God is that he will drop everything that he's doing hallelujah, to take a step toward us. The old song used to say, if you take one step, he'll take two. The pursuit of God, the pursuit of God. We want to continue to pursue after God because he does the same thing for us. Jesus seeks us. He gave his very life seeking after us. And likewise, the pursuit of wisdom or the pursuit of Christ must be our greatest pursuit in life. If you are not pursuing wisdom, if you are not actively pursuing wisdom, if you are not actively pursuing God, I'll tell you right now, you are gaining foolishness. There is no halfway or no half truth. Your flesh is fed all day long by accident, whether you want it fed or not. Your flesh is fed all day long. But the only way to feed your spirit, man, is to seek after God. Your spirit, man, is only fed on purpose. It does not happen on accident. This pursuit of God only happens on purpose. You don't just fall into the habit of pursuing God. And we're going to come back there in a moment. But let's go first. Let's go first and talk about the then. Okay? The then. Because there is a reward that we get. And our first then is the reward of pursuit. And the first question we kind of have is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because there's so much that comes in following the narrow path that we talked about a few weeks ago. There's so much uh, uh, work sometimes that it takes into doing the things of God because we know that the world is following the wide path, that easy road that is that is wide but leads to destruction. But we're trying to stay on what the old folks used to call the straight and narrow. We're trying to enter in through the narrow gate and continue on the narrow way. And the first question that we begin to have is, is it worth it? And so this is where we get to the reward of the pursuit that we talked about in the first few verses, in verses one through four. So in verses five through seven, he tells us, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's just stop right there. So there's the first four ifs. We talked about the first four ifs, but then he gets to the then. And he says, then you will get a big car and have a big fancy house and have everything you ever wanted. No, then you will, uh, uh, your, 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 your um, finances will increase and your retirement will go through the roof. No, no. He says, if you pursue God, 
if you pursue wisdom, then you will, will understand the fear of God. You will understand why it's important to reverence God. You will understand uh, uh, and, and become in relationship with God through this healthy fear or through this uh, reverence for God and for his word. And it says, and then you will find the knowledge of God. Let's just stop right there. If there were no other rewards that came with it, and let me tell you, there are. But if there were no other rewards that came with it, wouldn't the pursuit of wisdom leading to knowing God be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? I want your real answers. Type those. Wouldn't it be worth it? If the pursuit of wisdom, if all of those ifs, if all of that narrow path, if all of those things that we that we uh, were uh, um pushed or or persuaded to do in verses one through four, all it led to was the pursuit of wisdom leading to knowing God. Wouldn't that be worth it enough? What better reward? Hallelujah. Because in verse six, he says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth came knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for who? For the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Is there any better reward than knowing God? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you right now for the knowledge of you. No matter what you think you need, it's found in him. No matter what you think you need, no matter what you think you need for confidence, no matter what you think you need in this life for comfort, no matter what you think you need in this life for your self-esteem, no matter what you think you need in this life uh, uh, to be financially secure, nothing that you need can be found and be worth it outside of God. So he says that you will understand the fear of God. You will understand the knowledge of God. You will understand that nothing good comes out of seeking anything without the word of God. The pursuit of wisdom also leads to knowing the way of God. So not only do we get to know and understand the fear of God, not only do we get to know and understand and become in relationship with him and in relationship and have reverence for the word of God, but it says we will begin to know the ways of God. This is what we would call discernment. We get to the point where we we have a, a, a kind of a sixth sense about certain things and, and, and we can become safe or be safe from certain situations because of this knowledge that we have of God, because of this knowledge that that uh, that God gives us. He said he gives knowledge. He stores up knowledge. Uh, back in the previous verse, it says, uh, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk uprightly. And so we know that the pursuit of wisdom leads to knowing the ways of God. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for showing us your ways because your ways save us time. God, thank you for showing us your ways because your ways save us hurt. Thank you for showing us your ways because your ways uh, save us anger and frustration and bad relationships. Your ways show us, oh God, to take the job that don't even look like it should be the job that we take because it pay lower than the other job. But because we got the wisdom of God, we're not going to waste our time because the job that he gave us the peace and the job that was going to end up giving us the higher salary was the job that wasn't best that met the eye. Because we got discernment about this person. We don't waste our time in this relationship. By seeking him, we know the right way to go. Winter, wisdom enters in our hearts and will lead us and guide us. The entire rest of the book of Proverbs shows us the benefits of walking in wisdom. 
The real way of wisdom is in the way of Christ. Wisdom will only get you so far in this world, but the wisdom that we are seeking after is the wisdom that comes in knowing God. Amen? The pursuit of wisdom will also protect you. The scripture talks about it being a shield. It talks about the wisdom of God being a shield. The entire book of Proverbs shows us the tragic results and the real danger of those who fail to follow the way of wisdom. Oh, it talks about this way of following. It talks about it talks about uh, uh, this way that is not like God and what happens to people who take this way of following. What happens to people uh, in detail that go on this broad path that leads to destruction? The entire rest of Proverbs shows us those tragic results and the real danger for those who fail to follow the way of wisdom. But those who will pursue wisdom will be protected from those consequences. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your protection. God, thank you for your butler and your shield, oh God, your buckler and your shield, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for protecting us because the pursuit of wisdom will shield you. It will protect you. It will guard you. It will watch over you and it will deliver you. It will protect you from evil people and evil paths. What, do, what, what, what wisdom won't get you in the natural eye, what wisdom won't get you with regular discernment that comes even in the spirit, you will get with this protection that God will provide you because he said that he is our rear guard. He is protecting us. He is watching over us. When we walk in this way of wisdom, when we walk in this way of God, then we are walking uh, with a shield. Hallelujah. This shield of faith that the Bible gives us. The Bible tells us that we have a sword and that is the word of God, but we've got the shield of faith that comes in walking in wisdom and in pursuing wisdom. In pursuit of wisdom, it will protect you. Amen? Now, now, I want to go back. All right, well, I really, I want to move forward, but what I want to talk to you about now is how do we get to this? So we've got the if. If you pursue wisdom, then you get these promises. So there's this pursuit of wisdom that God tells us to pursue. And then there's these promises that we just went through that he tells us will be the promises or the rewards of the pursuit or the rewards of wisdom. But let me speak for a moment to some of you who may say, okay, you know what? I get it. And that sounds good. But if I can be quite honest, Pastor Ryan, I, I wish I desired God more. I wish I had the desire to, to get up earlier so that I can spend some time in his word. I wish I had the desire to seek out wisdom and seek out the things of God. But I'm in a position where I don't really feel like seeking God. I don't really feel like praying. I don't really feel like uh, honoring God. Yes, I know he's God. Yes, I know uh, that, that, that his will, that he should be exalted among uh, the world. And I know that he should be exalted. I know uh, that this, this, I have this fear of God. So I understand this reverence for him. I understand that he is the only true way, but my heart's just not there. I just don't feel this thing. Well, let me speak to you for a moment as we close. How to desire wisdom, how to desire wisdom, and, and in that desiring Christ, okay? First thing I want to do is I want to go back and explain to you that the failure to actively pursue equals the decision to fail. The failure to actively pursue God, pursue wisdom, pursue Christ is the decision to passively fail, okay? What do I mean by that? If you do not go hard after God, 
you will passively miss him. Let me break that down for a minute. I told you all a few moments ago that we have to feed our spirit man on purpose, but that our fleshly man is fed every single day. Now, we're in a pandemic now, but I want to give you an example. I want you to think back before the pandemic. You go to the mall and you walk in the mall, you know, man, woman, whoever you are, and and you see a man or another woman, let's say a woman, and and she's got on a, a, a dress that's cut a little too short. And, and maybe you're married, maybe you're not married, but we're all human either way. And you see that this woman has got some nice, beautiful long legs. Or you see that this man with this with this cutoff shirt and this low-hanging uh, V-neck has some, some big muscles. And, and you bet he got a six-pack. And you start to, your mind starts to wonder, your flesh is being fed. You walk a little bit further and you go into a store and they playing your jam. It's Destiny's Child back from before you got in church or, or they're playing, uh, um, you know, your old school cut from back when you used to listen to music that didn't have nothing to do with God. And and they're playing, you know, the, the, I don't know why this comes to my mind, but they're playing the old school drama, the, the, uh, the, the drama song. Uh, from that group. I can't remember the guy. I guess the guy's name was Drama or whatever. They're playing whatever a song it is that takes you back. And you just get to kind of, you know, tapping your foot and singing that song. And you know that song ain't talking nothing about God, but it took you back. Your flesh is being fed. It's talking about things that don't build you up spiritually, but things that tear you down. Not to mention the things that you may actively do and the music you may actively listen to and the movies you may actively watch that that tear down uh tear you down in god but the point of all of this is that whether it's purposeful or whether it's accidental there is always constantly something that is trying to tear you down spiritually and feed into your flesh okay so what let me give you a real world example of that the world feeds your flesh all day long and unfortunately the results are tragic first of all sin Sin, let me make it clear, sin keeps us from pursuing God, but pursuing God keeps us from sinning. I'll say it again. Sin keeps us from pursuing God, but pursuing God keeps us from sinning. So the best way to fight sin is not to stop sinning, although we need to do that, but the best way to fight sin is to start pursuing God. The best way to fight against the things of the enemy are not to fight against them in your own power, but to submit yourself, like we talked about, to God. When you submit yourself to God, then he will begin to give you or impart to you this wisdom. He will begin to make your path straight. I don't care if you don't feel it. I don't care if you don't feel like it. When you begin to seek after God, then that is the best way to fight against sin because although sin will keep you from pursuing God, pursuing God will keep you from sinning. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Hallelujah, that pursuing God will keep us from the things of this world. But the thing about it is that the desire is the result of seeking, not just the motivation for seeking. So the desire of seeking comes from seeking. So the desire is the result of seeking, okay? The, we seek God, and then the result of that is the desire for God. It's not just the motivation for seeking. Yes, when we have a desire to seek God, that is motivational, right? But if you don't have the motivation to seek God, he says that we can begin to seek him 
and the desire to seek him will begin to follow us. So the desire is the result of seeking, not just the motivation for seeking. So we have to get to the point and we have to get to the place that when we don't feel like seeking God, that we just seek him anyway. I, I don't care that you don't feel like seeking him. The desire is the result of seeking. So when you don't feel like seeking, you seek. And then when you have the desire to seek, then that gives you the motivation to seek him more. So we cannot wait to pursue God until the desire comes. We've got to pursue him. We've got to seek him and the desire will come. The desire often flows out of the pursuit. The desire often flows out of the pursuit. I've given you guys this example before, but I want you to think for a minute. When you get sick, what is one of the first things that go? Your appetite. One of the first things that go when you are sick is your appetite. And so then what happens? Many times we don't have an appetite, but if you've got a good, if you've got a good, um, if you've got a good somebody taking care of you, or if you just got the sense yourself, you say, you know what? I need to eat something. Why? Because even though you don't feel like eating, because the illness that has got your body, the illness that's got your that that's got your body is 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 zapping your appetite. And when it zaps your appetite, you have no desire to eat. But here's the key. If you don't eat, it's difficult to get better because your body needs that nourishment. Your body needs that soup. Your body needs those crackers. Your body needs that juice. They, the, the, even the doctors tell you, in addition to the medicine, whatever they might have you on, what do they always tell you? Push the fluids. Get something in your body. But we don't feel like it. I don't feel like eating. I don't feel like drinking. I don't have a desire because why? I'm sick. I just want to lay here. I just want to nurse my wounds. I just want to sleep. I don't want to put anything nourishing in my body. But what is the answer for that? To sit there and not eat and just wait until one day I feel like eating? No, that's a recipe for, for disaster. The answer to it is you eat anyway. And as you begin to eat, your desire for food begins to return because that food that you eat that nourishes your body begins to strengthen your body. And then as your body begins to be strengthened, then it begins to go back into its regular rhythms and it begins to go back into its regular way of doing things. And it begins to go from a sickly body to a healthy body. And in a spirit man, when we don't desire God, we've got a sickly body. When we are in a place where we don't desire God, we've got a sickly soul. And so the answer for that is not to just sit there and wait until you feel like it. But the answer for that is to seek him when you don't feel like seeking him. The Bible says that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Hallelujah. Even when you don't feel like you completely find God. If you just begin to seek him, he said, I'll, I will pay you rewards. I will pay you dividends because you're seeking. The, the, the command isn't to find God. The command is to seek God. And so when you obey the command to seek God, he said, I will begin to reward you as you find me. You ain't got to find me to begin to reap the benefits. You don't have to find me or understand everything about me. You're never going to understand everything. But if you make up your mind to diligently seek me, he says, I will reward you for seeking me. And one of the rewards for seeking him is that you want to seek him even more. One of the rewards for seeking him is that you begin to have a desire for him. You begin to have this desire to pursue 
him. And then now, guess what? Nobody is giving you a command like we talked about. The Proverbs 2 has no commands. It's got an if-then. And God said, if you will seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you will seek me, then I will reward you. If you will diligently search after me, then I will reward you because I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. In other words, we must pursue God by faith, believing that no matter how we feel, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you don't feel like getting up. I don't care if you don't feel like praying. I don't care if you don't care if you don't feel like putting God first. I don't care if you don't feel like reading the word of God. I don't care if you don't feel like scripture memory. I don't care how you feel or what might appear to be true. Pursuing him is always worth it. Just like eating good food only happens purposefully. When's the last time you heard somebody say, I accidentally went on this diet and lost 30 pounds? You know, I accidentally ate real healthy over the weekend uh, while I was on vacation. And, you know, uh, uh, no, you don't hear that because eating healthy food requires planning. It requires attention. It requires doing it over and over again so that it becomes a part of your habits. So if you need to eat healthy because your health is bad, and believe me, you do, whether you think your health is good or not, even in the natural, you need to eat healthy. And so when you need to eat healthy, whether you feel like eating healthy or not, whether you feel like eating healthy or not, you've got to do it. And you've got to do it. It only happens on purpose. You didn't accidentally eat healthy. You didn't fall into a diet and lose 30 pounds. You didn't mess around and end up in a healthy eating lifestyle and end up gaining muscles and getting a six pack uh, uh, on accident. No, it came because you planned it. And you said, I don't feel like eating carrots and broccoli. I don't feel like eating uh, uh, grilled chicken. I feel like eating mac and cheese. I feel like eating these things that are not healthy. I don't want grilled fish. I want it fried. I want the corn bread breading and I want it spicy and I want the hush puppies and I want the mashed potatoes, but instead I'm going to grill it. And instead I'm going to eat some broccoli and instead I'm going to go do some push-ups, and instead I'm going to go take a jog. Why? Because I know that these are the things that I need to do to look the way that I want to look. I know that these are the things I need to do to avoid the surgery. I know that these are the things I need to do to avoid the unhealthy uh, pitfalls and to lower my blood pressure and to get off of uh, 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 whatever it is, uh, a medical plan that they're putting you on or whatever medication that it is. And whether you feel like it or not, you do it. It doesn't happen on accident. And you are not going to feed your spirit man on accident. It only happens on purpose. Oh, God, give us a desire for you. But God, before before we even have the desire for you, God, I pray right now that you would give us the wherewithal to push when we don't feel like it, to push where there is no desire. Because the thing about it and what I want to leave you with today is a concept that I'm borrowing today from chemistry. And it's borrowed by psychologists. And what it's called is activation energy. Activation energy. And from a chemistry standpoint, activation energy is the minimum amount of energy that is required to activate atoms or molecules to a condition in which they can undergo chemical transformation or physical transport. Let me read it again. I want you to listen to this. Activation energy is the minimum amount of energy that is required to activate atoms or molecules to a condition in which they can undergo chemical what? 
transformation or physical what? Transport. So transformation. So even if you don't understand atoms and molecules and all that kind of stuff, I don't. Okay. But what I want you to get here is that it's the minimum amount of energy that's required to activate transformation or movement. Okay. Activation energy. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? It means that there are going to be some times where you need to apply some energy, whether you feel like it or not, you're going to have to apply some energy to a situation to get you moving. You've got to do some things that you don't feel like doing to get you moving. And once you get in that momentum, once you get in that flow of things, then you will begin to keep moving. That transformation or that physical transport, as it talks about in chemistry, it will continue to happen. But there's a minimum amount of energy that you've got to apply, that you've got to push sometimes. You don't feel like doing it. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like getting down on your knees. You don't feel like getting out the word of God. You want to watch the TV show. You want to watch the sitcom. You want to do your own thing. You want to hang out with friends. You want to stay on the phone. But no, you have got to apply even a minimal amount of energy to activate yourself, to begin that transformation, to begin that movement toward all that it is that God has called for you to be. But here's the good thing about activation energy. It's only required for activation because once you get to the point where you get in a flow, then that activation energy, that, 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 that bigger amount of energy that it took to get you started, you don't have to have that to keep you going. But see what the enemy will do to you, and some of you have been here and you wonder why you get into a flow of things and you get into a, a, a situation where you uh, are, are constantly sold out to God and you are constantly praying and you're constantly seeking God. And then all of a sudden you backtrack is because what happens is the enemy does everything that he can to interrupt your momentum. He does everything that he can to interrupt your flow state. So when you make up your mind to consistently seek the Lord, when you make up your mind to consistently pursue wisdom, when you make up your mind to consistently pursue the things of God, then you get into that momentum, that activation energy has activated you and you begin to be transformed and you begin to be transported. And then when you get into that flow and then you hit a bump in the road, you can keep on going. But many times what we do is we go back to our old ways. We go back to the way that we used to do things. We go back to getting up late. We go back to our old habits. And then we're in a position again where we need activation energy. But activation energy takes a lot. So what God is calling for is for uh, us to get into a mind frame where we get that activation energy, we get started, we get that momentum. And this time when you get going, you don't let hell or high water stop you from moving forward in God. You don't let hell or high water stop you from transformation. You don't let hell or high water stop you from being transported or being moved in God and becoming more in God and becoming all that he wants for you to be. Some of you all need some activation energy today, and the grace of God is here on this afternoon to give you the activation energy that you need to get started seeking after God. The activation energy is here. The grace that you need is here today for that activation energy to get you forced back into that momentum for seeking after God. Oh, God, you are my God. Early, I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. God, we want you more and more. We want you more and more. Hallelujah, God, we desire you.
We desire you, God. We want you more and more. Brother Vanell, if you're still on the line, I just want you to get that back together. I want you to sing that song again as we go out today. We want you more and more. We want you, God, more and more and more and more. God, it doesn't matter how we feel because we have already decided that your word, we have already decided, God, that your word is, is, is more valuable than rubies. The scripture says right after the scripture that talked about the man that sold everything he had to get the field, it goes back and it talks about uh, the man that, 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 that is seeking after pearls. And it talks about he finds this beautiful pearl. He finds what it is that he's seeking after. He sells everything he has to go and buy that pearl. Why? Because there was one thing that he desired. There was one thing that he was looking for. And many of us have forgotten our first love. Many of us have gotten sick in our minds. Many of us have gotten sick in our attitudes toward God. And God is saying, I'm still here. I'm still standing by. I still want to bring you to a place where you desire me, to where you love me, to where you come back to your first love. God, we want you more and more. We want you more and more, oh God. Oh God, we need you. Oh God, we need you. The scripture says we need him more than our necessary food. Hallelujah, God, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Oh God, we need you. We need you. We need you, God.